Welcome to episode 78 of the Butters Podcast. This is my conversation with Aaron Palaszczuk. This conversation is made possible thanks to the generous support of my amazing patrons. Thank you all so much. And if you too would like to support this podcast as a patron, you can do so by jumping onto patreon.com forward slash butters. But for now, thank you again for tuning into episode 78 of the Butters Podcast, my conversation with Aaron Palaszczuk. Enjoy. Um, I was talking about um, functional training and actually that originally functional training was all we had and then we broke training and... Like people are like, what do you mean we broke training? Well, we turned everything into a machine and we sat everyone down. Wow. And so that was the breaking of training. And there was a really functional reason for doing that, actually. It was that everybody was already broken. And so when we stood people up, they've become so accustomed in the, you know, in the revolution that we're in with, the, with sitting in offices oh, yeah. um, that they'd completely adapted. So what people don't understand about their body is when they walk into a gym to do a class like even a Les Mills combat class the assumption is that you're functional and that you're symmetrical and you're not symmetrical ever because you're handed even your veins turn in the way that you're handed to like it's incredible how the body works but you know I always say to my clients my legs are a team not a pair you know one is better at standing one is better at kicking you know one is easier to balance and you like when I say that you're like oh yeah that's true right so so they work in different ways and they form in different ways. So when I do functional training or mobility training, particularly with mobility training, I'm looking to balance my training so that when I go and do capoeira where I'm kicking with or ballet or whatever it is, and I have that tendency to use one leg more than the other to perform, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've retuned my body back to the middle, midline as much as I can. But actually for my body, in some ways that midline is a it's a fantasy it doesn't really exist yeah. it's like it's a it's an ideal it's a you know it's an it's a goal but you'll never hit it and i've i've seen people over the 20 years i've been in in training i mean i guess i grew up in this industry too and my mum was a bodybuilder so i've yeah, yeah yeah she was she was actually on the listener in 1991 she was the new zealand title holder for three years wow awesome. yeah. yeah um and she's when she would train she was a machine you know Um, and you know, even back then, I mean, bodybuilding is all about symmetry and of course it is. It's the body beautiful. It's the body perfect. That's the aim. So of course it is. But I've seen people spend their whole lives dedicating it to symmetry that they never attain. They get close, they get good marks for it in a bodybuilding or a sculpting competition, but it's, it's not functional per se. Um, but it is functional to, to head to that after you've gone and rock climbed or, Played tennis with your mates. Where do you use both hands when you play tennis? Very few, mm. right? So you're building one shoulder, one twist, golf, mm. all one side. Mm. How many golfers have I seen with back problems? And I'm like, oh, you need tuning. That's all it is. And this is the thing that people don't get. We have broken our tuning systems, and that's why we broke training. 
We created all these chairs because we've broken our bodies. We're no longer sitting on the floor, getting up and down off the floor, hanging from trees, hanging from okay. anything. Okay. Twist. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of my hanging devices. You'll see I've got another one over there. Oh yeah. And and this one over here because I can step onto the floor. So. Um, you know, the bar in the middle of the doorway is so that I can hang and put my feet on the floor and twist and shape and stretch around. Mm. That's a stretching tool, mm. as is one where I can't put my feet on the ground. Right. What's cool about um, the stall bars here... I'll like, take a photo of these as well and check them on Instagram or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah definitely. So can see what you're talking about. And stall bars are like... You know, this is a gymnastics training tool. You'll see these in any gymnastics places, right? They'll have racks on the wall like this. It looks like a torture device. But I can rig different... <laughs> I mean, it does a bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can rig different um, equipment off here. And this is like a home gym, mm. right? So I can put bands on here. I can put a TRX off it and do stuff out here. Um, I could even use the rings on an angle from this if I wanted to. Right. Um, but I can also stretch in different ways. With this particular set, Nord do beautiful stuff. Um, they actually have a, a um, pulley cable system and you put a bench on here, you just hook it over the bars and then you've got a full gym workout oh, on it as well. Okay. Yeah. But you could get um, resistance bands and yeah. work in different angles from this. Yeah, right. So super cool. But also I can hang off that top bar, put my feet on these lower bars and then I can start twisting around and playing like a kid. And kids are the perfect example of self-tuners. Mm. They swing from trees, they climb... They crawl along the ground, they get up and down off the floor, they lie on the floor, they spring up. They do all this stuff that naturally creates some balance. They run around barefoot. Right, yeah. And they run around barefoot on, on natural surfaces. Because right. you need to be in the sand, on the grass, on the stones. All these things that stimulate the 200,000 plus senses you have in your hands and feet. And they're nodal in the whole system, so they're feeding information back to your brain. And your brain is feeding information back to them. And thus the tuning cycle begins, right? Mm. So, so before they're influenced by the idea of, oh, you need to go to the gym to get fit or strong, they are, they are doing what comes naturally and they are reaping the benefits of it. So if we can get back to that childlike approach, then we are probably going to be beneficiaries as well. Recently, in the last five years or six years, a study came out and uh, that's... Oh, yeah. That that study basically said I've forgotten what it was what it was actually called, but that study was about um, measuring longevity. Did you hear about this one? No. So previously, with like if you don't smoke, if you don't drink, if you this if you can squat up and down this many times, you know if you can get up and down this many times from your chair. Well, first of all, your chair is a half range movement. A full squat is archetypal. It's ass to grass, right? That's why that became popular. Okay, yeah? yeah. But actually, this was. Can you get up from the floor without your hands? Mm. So can you get up from, like I'm sitting now, right, without your hands? Yeah, you used your knee there, yeah. <laughs> no hands. Okay. Yeah, any, oh, like I can get up in a million ways. Oh, yeah, you can. Right? Like now, this, this now you're showing off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this yeah. becomes a dance, right? And uh -huh. the more I did it, the more it started to become a dance. Like the more beautiful, like I would notice myself getting up off the floor and I was like, oh, that even looked elegant doing it. Mm. If, if you can do that, you, you are guaranteed to live the next six, six years. That was the measure. Whether you smoke, drink, whatever else, if you can get up and down off the floor without using your hands, it was the best measure that you were going to live for the next six years. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 
I saw a... I, I wonder how many people are listening to this right now too, who <laughs> will be like, oh, and giving it a nudge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I saw a TikTok the other day and someone was actually talking about this. Oh. And there was, you know, like this woman's talking about it and they show it on on like some TV show. And then there's this girl going, oh my God, like this. And she can't get up off the floor and she's probably 20, you know. But so is that, is that to say then that by 26, unless she actually actively worked on it, like oh studies are funny things right yeah, yeah, so yeah. how you they, wouldn't think that someone at 26 it was going to be dead right yeah i think when you're looking at it in any way you're going it's not saying you're going to be dead by then it's, it's saying just the longevity you're definitely gonna like you you've got you've definitely got the next six years in you okay now it. if you were 80 that's 86 if mm. you were 90 that's 96 mm. so what else does this being able to get up and down off the floor tell us about a human being tells us their blood pressure is low Getting up and down off the floor is actually a way to tune your blood pressure. So those people with high blood pressure who don't sit on the floor, and even if you're using furniture and props to help you get up and down, I would be doing that. Or as low as I can get. The lower I get, the more it boosts that blood pressure as I get up and tunes it overall. So it's a tuning system system for your heart and your blood pressure system. Have you ever done a, a Turkish get up? So it's a, you use a kettlebell usually, it's an old school training method, right? And you would get up from lying flat on your back, you push the weight into the air, and you stand all the way up with this weight pointing oh, yeah, at the ceiling. Yeah. You will have seen them, right? I've seen, I've seen that on yeah, training yeah. videos, yeah, yeah. Right, so. So it's called a Turkish. A Turkish get up. Okay. And there's multiple different versions of the Turkish get up. They're all, it's a get up, not a set exercise. Any pattern that works that's safe, that does, that stimulates your system is great. It's a massive movement of the body. So it boosts hormones. It's going to help you lose weight quicker. It's going to help you with building muscle. It's going to boost your testosterone, etc. Because it's such a big muscle mover. It moves so many muscles in that one movement. I had a fit hunter doing that this morning online. And he did five of them. He's like, I just taught him this morning. And he was like, oh my, this is really like hard. Like this. And like his heart was going. And I'm like, yeah, it elevates your blood pressure to get up and down off the ground. And you push a weight and stick it to the ceiling and do up and then all the way down with that weight held in the air. It's like, you know, put a, putting a little bit of crack on the end of that yeah, exercise yeah, yeah. and really elevating it. So, and I was like, yeah, this is how you get bang for your buck. You've got five minutes to exercise. Do five of these on each side. Get on with your day, you right, know? Right. Like, and Tim Sisson, uh, Tim, sorry, not Sisson, Tim Ferriss wrote uh, The 4-Hour Body, right? And, and certain exercises he had in there, it was all about how do I boost my hormones the quickest. Squatting, ass to grass. Um, As in like body weight squatting? Body weight squatting yeah. is fine. Yeah. Um, but you could also squat weight. Uh -huh. Chest press. Yeah. Chin up, pull up. Oh, yeah. And I'm trying to think. I want to say the other one was, he has a particular ab exercise. And I want to say it was that, but it could have been a presser because again, big body movements. But if you look at all of those exercises, mm. huge, like I am going to put everything into moving. Mm. I would actually say the, the chest press is the one that's probably the least, the least beast okay. out of like squats and chin ups, man, that's a workout. Yeah. Do five, five sets of five, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, you, yeah. I remember someone saying to me, and I don't know if it was based on research or what have you, but they were saying, yeah, if you want to, if you if you want to know the three key exercises for a full body workout if you were going to the gym like if you were time poor they said squats 
bench press and deadlifts. He might have had deadlifts as his fourth okay. one, actually. Yeah. Which I guess would incorporate the core. Deadlifts like an incredible exercise, yeah. and and to me, reloading squats, I'm not really a fan. It's a weird exercise. Oh, you do the front. I would rather, if I'm correcting posture, I'd do front loading. Okay. And usually because people's posture is collapsed, I'd always be like front load. And people don't want to front load because it's not as yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not as easy. But well done and really driving that thoracic up worthwhile. Right. Um, I'd probably get people hanging before. If there's a contraindication to hanging, and that's a prolapse disc. So anywhere in the spine, a prolapse could be aggravated by hanging. So you'd want to watch out for that. Oh. But... If people don't have a prolapse disc, hanging is essential for reshaping the, the um, what's happening in the scapula okay. into the AC joint. So it's really good for healthy shoulders. Um, even if your feet are on the ground, you know, and just sitting weight into your shoulders, it starts reshaping any remodeling that's happening here. Um, so like Dr. Kirsch, who's a cutter, so he fixes shoulders. He's an orth- like a, a surgeon basically. He just he wrote a book how to fix your shoulder, and it's basically lifting light weights like above your head oh, yeah. and hanging. And and he said that you know eighty five percent of the surgeries he would have performed he managed to prevent as a result of lightweight exercises and hanging. Wow! And he even now he even had a skiing incident after starting to do all this stuff for himself as a surgeon. He'd also started to get shoulder problems. Yeah. And um. He'd actually discovered this problem when he went to follow his children up a ladder and realized he couldn't because he couldn't get his arms up there. And something clicked in his head and he went, I can't because I don't. Mm. And so he started hanging, he started lifting the weights above his head and his shoulders got better. And then he started using this for a lot of his clients that were coming to him for surgery and they started to not need surgery. He had the option to submit his paper to the medical system and he went, no, I want how to fix your shoulder, I think it's called to be out there in the world so that people will use it mm. um, and that people can avoid all these all these surgeries, sticking things back together. He then had a skiing incident, you know, a few years into this practice of doing his weights and hanging off stuff. And he ripped his, um, I want to say it was his infraspinatus, I think it was. He ripped it completely off. He went back to doing what he was doing, no surgery to reattach. He said he's stronger than ever. Wow. And he reports it in his book. Good little book, tiny, easy read, designed for the average person to read. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. That's you know, amazing. That's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. And the body's ability to adapt and adjust is incredible. But if it's out of tune and you don't tune it, it what actually starts to happen? You start to collapse. And that's what I, I was talking to a woman last night because I'm, I'm moving houses, picking up boxes. And this woman recognized me from an ad, advert I'd run locally. She went, oh, do you do, oh, you, I, th- I always thought you could have helped me, but I never quite got around to getting back in touch with you. And um, she had had, what had happened to her? She'd had spinal, she does, she'd had not a spinal thing, she'd had a hip thing. And as a result of having a hip thing go wrong, when she'd finally come out of hospital, she was kind of doing okay. But because she had no tuning, slowly 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 she's deteriorated and now she's gotten to the point where even standing up talking to me was difficult for her Wow. now here's the cool thing there are people in this city I'm about to leave I'm off to Auckland but there are people in this city that could help her there are trainers that could help her on a functional level that understand some of this Mm -hmm. and there of course is, is my mentor here who can do the body work 
and show the tuning who wrote the book about some of this stuff, Philip Beach. And I forwarded her onto him. And I was like, I can help you with some of the food stuff, the nutrition stuff. That's more my field. I do the, I do a holistic approach. So for me, it's mind, movement, and nutrition, my three pillars. But I mean, Phil is the master of the bodywork. He's always creating. He's always inventing. And he wrote the whole system around contractile fields. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she can get better. She might not be perfect, but I mean, we could get it so that she could stand you know, and, yeah. and climb the stairs without it being complete breakdown. Yeah. And that's the thing with sitting at a desk and then going to a gym and sitting in a chair and pushing weights above your head, which if you think about it, it's the most bizarre thing in the world to do, to push weights above your head while you sit down. is strange. Right? It is, right? Oh, I don't know. I've, I've become accustomed to it all my life. You know, that's what you see. So it, does, it doesn't seem strange to me. So if you think, okay, that's cool. So if we take it to like, imagine if you were doing something around your house and you needed to put a box up high. Mm. Would you sit down before you did it? No, obviously. Wouldn't make sense, right? If you were in the garden, would you sit down before you lifted the rock? No. To shift it? So the concept of us sitting down to lift weight archetypally over thousands of hundreds of thousands of years, we have not evolved to do that. We have evolved to stand up and lift because it makes more sense on a functional level. And functional training is about functional movement, which is, can I be in the garden? Can I hit a ball? Can I go for a run? Can mm. I climb something? Mm. Can I put that box on that shelf? Mm. You know? Yeah. So... Sitting down creates a whole host of problems and sitting down while you train creates more or creates bigger versions of it Okay. because you heighten your emotions, you heighten your fight or flight, you're, like you stimulate your stress basically. Why? How? So I always thought it was like you might be sitting down to isolate muscles to focus on if you're doing shoulder, shoulder press or something, for example, that you would be, the focus would be on your shoulders. As opposed to if you're standing up and you're doing it, then you might be engaging more parts of the body that you, you aren't necessarily interested in. I would imagine that would be more focused on bodybuilders who are sculpting, who are like, today I'm focusing on shoulders. So it's totally. all about the shoulders. That's 100%, what I... 100%. Right. And, I, and that's the other thing. These machines, really, when they came about and they were designed, it was when we started doing the Body Beautiful, mm. which, as you know, actually my, my mother and my sister did that. Right. Um, and we had a gym. And so, yeah, and there was this idea too that we moved into this, we need to rehab people. So we started isolating because of rehab as well. So you'll see a lot of the physio equipment is also isolating. Oh, right, yeah. You'll also see a lot of physios now moving away from some of that and moving into um, very more functional stuff gotcha. for rehab yeah. um, because we know more now yeah. as well. But that doesn't mean those machines aren't useful. Sometimes I use them in funny ways, but it doesn't mean that they're not useful but they're limited in use to some extent. And show me a bodybuilder that's functional. I'll show you a rare occurrence, you know? And I'll also show you someone who probably does functional training as well. Mm -hmm. So they build the body beautiful, but they do all the other stuff. Right. Most bodybuilders that I have known of when they're, especially in the modern times, a bit different when my mum was doing it. Um, but in modern times, they break themselves so much at the gym, they're in so much pain that they're medicating themselves for the pain afterwards. So they're taking, you know, they're taking paracetamol and start painkillers. Yeah. Well, I think of Ronnie Coleman as well. You know what I mean? It's like a perfect example of, I just don't know if it would be worth all all of the Mr. Olympias for, 
the pain he's in and will be in for the rest of his life you know what I mean but, you know, each to their own. Each well, to their own. And, and that's also, I mean, he was, he's at the, at, the le- at the level of athlete. And I mean, when you start touching on athletes and the pain that they're in as a result of the sport that they probably wouldn't have chosen anything else. Yeah. I mean, all the brain injuries in American football, all yeah. the, you know, like yeah. in New Zealand rugby. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff there where it's like, would you have chosen this? Yeah. I think in the elite athlete level, that's, it's very different to would you choose it? You know, mm. would I choose it? Yeah. And like, I love to use my body. I do crazy things with it, but I love to tune it back in again so that it's ready to go the next time. And here's a cool thing. You sit on the floor after you've done leg day, you're going to be more ready to train tomorrow because you tuned your body in, mm, okay. you know, yeah. and there's multiple ways to sit on the floor to develop that tuning. Do I kneel, you know, Japanese sit, Cesar? Do I flex my toes and sit on them to open up my feet and open up my squat pattern? Do I sit cross-legged, the unwind of the squat? You know, the, that deep range squat is the, the full wind up. And so the full unwind, these become complementaries and opposites, you know. Um, so super, super cool to look at training from that perspective of like, oh, how can I tune my day so that tomorrow when I go to play again, I can do it better than without the tuning. Yeah. Wow. With the hormonal side of things, yeah, you're like, hmm. I wanted to answer your question about how is that the case. Our bodies are meant to live in a balance of stress, and this is where we really get into what I do, is I specialize in trying to bring people back to their hum, to their middle ground, to their their tune. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I don't want to take them into stress. It may do. But with most people in the world that we live in, they're so overstressed that they're sick and dying. Mm. And that sounds really extreme and tragic, but actually when you realize it, it's empowering because mm. you can change anything you want, anytime you want, but you have to do it. Yeah. So with regards to training, when I train, I heighten my stress. I heighten my emotional impact that's happening on my body. And anything that you do in your system, when there's an emotional high, it fuses in, right? So what I do then is important. So I say to my clients, hey, when you train, you want to you shape your body like you want it to look. So do I push my gut out against a shitty training belt, which is also, it's a powerlifters thing. Now, powerlifters, they're not looking for body beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're looking for super strong. So different set of circumstances, yeah. though I would argue it, Right depending on what kind of training they're doing at the time and what they're practicing. For a bodybuilder, I'd be like, bad idea. Because you want a tiny waist. Suck it in. Learn to suck it in. Shape it that way. Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger learned that. He went and did ballet. The whole basis, the whole beginning of ballet is abs, 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 abs. Suck it in. Zip it up. The whole time. As soon as that's off, it's like you've lost the, the first part of your anchor right? In ballet, it's all about creating the anchor and then only the leg moves off the anchor. Only the arm moves. Everything else is locked down. Mm. Abs are on, ribs are in, shoulders are down. And then everything from there, it becomes, am I going to move this for the shape or am I not? You go to the, you've watched them, right? And it's all like perfect. It's like, do you know how much work it takes to do that? Yeah. I mean, those are athletes. And I have seen videos of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger and his training partner, I forget his name, um, on the bar in the ballet thing. But I had no idea that that was the reason that he was doing that. 
head. But it makes perfect sense too. Yeah. Yeah. He had the, I mean, he was famous for his tiny waist, a huge man. Shh. Mm. You know, it was one of his features, mm. his incredibly small waist and that huge back mm. that he'd managed yeah. to create yeah. and to be so tall with so much muscle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, he's still the goat in bodybuilding. He will always be the legend. And there, but there are so many legends, really, in bodybuilding. But you say any of the other names. And only if people are interested in the sport will they know. But you say Arnold Schwarzenegger, or you say bodybuilding, and people will say Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, he's been the governor of LA and stuff like that. Like he's actually had a political career and all sorts of stuff. He married a Kennedy or a yeah. Rothschild. Like, Kennedy, like yeah. he married a Kennedy. Like, this is, this is a man who's had quite an interesting life. He's yeah. been a movie star. He's been all sorts of things. You say bodybuilding, they go, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> That's so funny. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So how did you get connected with Philip Beach? Oh, okay. So what got you into this? What got, well, I, well, I guess you've explained it in part. Your, your mum was a bodybuilder and your sister as well. You grew up, I imagine, with that exposure to that. Is that what got you into it? or? We used to. Um, I think from my perspective, in my experience, and this is, you know, each to their own but in my experience I can see um I can see people's past lives I could have seen some of my own I can I know where I've been before in some cases not all of them but I I've, I've seen a few of them one of them was yogi you know that kind of thing I think I was born into a family um by design okay. that I do believe you uh energetically select where you're going next to learn what you need to learn, even the even the shitty horrible stuff. And people are like, "Why would I pick that?" It builds compassion. It builds compassion to suffer. The Buddhists say life is suffering, only uh, only because you want it to be something other than what it is. Hmm. Right? Is that the Buddhist philosophy? That life. It's it, one of their things. Is they always say life is suffering, oh, okay. and it's like because you're attached to it being something other than what it is instead of accepting what is and then going, but I can create whatever else I like. The Buddhists will also talk about the Oversoul Network and they talk about um, law of attraction. Okay. I've I've absolutely been in um, lectures with high lamas where they talk about law of attraction. They talk about how in your meditation you can send your wishes into the Oversoul Network and it will come back to you. Why doesn't it come back to you? Because you said, oh, but, oh, well, well, I don't have it yet. It's about vibrating. They're talking about changing your vibration and then allowing things to drop in that you actually want. Yeah. And believing in it as well, I guess. Believing that, I guess that's a big part of it, isn't it? it? It's definitely a belief. It definitely has an element of belief in it. Because if you say something, you can't just create but not believe it because then it will never come to fruition. Well, it's, it's, it's sort of bigger than that. Like you're, you're totally right, but it's like the more I play with this and the more I understand it. And, and even my move to Auckland, like magic has happened there for it to just all slot into place. And I just went, Oh, I'm going now and I'm moving really fast to leave. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's almost like you have to understand that we live in a world of, of, of where what we, tell the universe we have is exactly what we get so if we say every man ever leaves me always the men always leave me you end up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy of men always leaving 
So if you have that story in your head and then you go out there with the intention of starting a new relationship and hoping for the best, and you could be the loveliest person in the world. Do all the things in the world to keep that man to make him very happy, right? The reality is, is as long as you're telling yourself that story, even quietly in the back of your head, or you're living there in fear of, you know, when is this person going to go away from me? Or I'm not going to quite be myself because I don't want them to leave, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Or I need to protect myself and have my walls up so I'm never quite my authentic self. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you, in some way or shape or form, you're, you're not sabotaging. you're sabotaging it, right? You're telling the universe and the energy of this person who's got to deal with your lack of self-worth in this case, because it is that. And this is, again, I've been in this one, right? But it is a lack of self-worth to say that people will always leave you. Why? Because you're not good enough. Plenty of people stay in relationships their whole lives. So why are you so different? It's like, well, this is the story you're telling yourself. So if I want something different, first I have to hear the shitty story that I'm telling myself. And then I have to start working with that. Okay, what would it feel like? To me, wanting someone to stay in the first place is love. I want love. I want to feel safe and I want love. Mm. Well, first of all, let's... The universe has me. If I look back over the course of my life, I've been in some interesting situations. I'm still here and it's still great, mm. right? I've come through a lot of different things as everybody does in their life. And there have still been great times, high points. It's been pretty fabulous. Yeah. So I can trust that somehow existence knows I'm here and she's got me. And if I was to vanish, to slip, I would create a vacuum. So I don't vanish. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we turn into other things. Energy moves on and it changes in form. But we don't just vanish. So existence knows we're here and if we vanished, she would miss us. So I start having to trust into there's actually a little bit more going on here than just me. Right? And if we look around, we see divine mathematics everywhere. We see Fibonacci, golden ratios, etc. The law of everything connected by maths. If you want to find God, look at the maths that surround you that are built between you and me and that plant and that rug and that divine mathematics everywhere Mm. between us and Mars and the next planet and the next planet and the next universe. It's all connected through the same sequencing. Like that's not random. That's not big bang explosion. No God. Mm. That's created on some level. How? I'm not talking about some guy on, on in the sky, you know. But there's, there's definitely laws at play here. So when I look back over my life and I go, well, what dropped in for me? Now, when I wanted to teach yoga and didn't have a yoga teacher certificate, but had been trained by yogis and climbed the mountain, etc., I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. Right. Just like you knew you wanted to do podcasting, right? Yeah. And you just go, oh, okay, I know that's what I'm going to do. That's what's going to happen. Now, 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 how does it, and and then it just happens. And as soon as you go without any buts, ifs, oh, but I can't because like, I could have gone, oh, I can't, I need a yoga certificate. I was just like, my question was not, I can't do it because of that. My question was, how do I do it without that? How do I do it without that? Because I know that that's what I'm going to be doing. Exactly. Exactly that. And and you see the the way you language that is perfect. That is perfect. I know that's what I'm, I'm doing. I know that's where it's at. Yeah. And so when we look at um, like Einstein's theory of relativity, everything is happening at once, the past, the present, and the future, that kind of concept, that's where the law of attraction and, and that science comes together really nicely because it's like anything you want, it's already been delivered. 
Now you have to get ready to be ready to be ready to be ready to receive it. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that before too. Uh, that's, that's buzzy. And, so, it, and it works like that. Yeah, and so I think it's... Um, so I think it's... It, um, I love these types of conversations. I think um, I heard it said that it's like if you have a thought about something then it's already in motion effectively it's instantly already in motion absolutely then if you put um put action in place as well almost with the belief that it's like it's 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 coming then it is more likely to you know to to come to fruition or into reality and there are certain things in our lives that we don't it's there's certain things in everyone's lives where they don't have to sit down and consciously say i want to manifest this there are certain natural things where we just automatically do that and then there are other things in our lives where we consciously do kind of say almost as an exercise i want i believe you know i believe in this and i want to manifest it and i want to create it and then um, maybe that's a bit more of a conscious process because but then you still have to really genuinely believe it because with a lot of things we don't need to believe it because we just automatically we trust it already yeah and we're already so so invested yeah that so we've, the, and we're vi- and we're already vibrationally aligned that's right and that's yeah and yeah. i think that's where you're going yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's it's an amazing it's powerful stuff and, and even in the way you talked about with auckland you didn't talk about it in a way that's like i thought about it and i feel like maybe i should it was just a matter of fact that you're moving to auckland you know to expand um and but even in the way even in the way you explain it it's not like it was ever it was just happening yeah and then so when you said and it just happened really quickly it's probably because it it was just you know what i mean everything lined up the flat that i got was offered to me like people like oh have you found a flat yet i'm like and i've got a cat so renting is is somewhat problematic with animals and so and i i love him and i um I take the responsibility of giving him a good life really mm-hmm. to heart mm-hmm. because I think that's really important when you take someone on that doesn't have so much say in the matter, yeah, you know? Yeah. And um, and I literally got offered this place and and I was like, oh, what about my cat? And they went, no, 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 cool. But actually the guy had, had aligned with me and he offered it before I'd even said, I think, before I'd even said I was moving to Auckland. And I went, oh, I'm actually thinking about moving to all. And said, oh, we could do long-term or short-term or whatever. They've just built it. It's brand new. It's got a workspace next to it. So I've like, yeah. like it's, and I was like, and they're ethical farmers. They've growing avocados and I'm addicted to avocados. But, but I was like, oh, where do you live? And he goes, oh, Kingsland. And I was like, Kingsland is the one place that when I drive through from the airport into the viaduct, I'm like, where am I? This is kind of funky. I could live here. Mm. And I've done it multiple times through Kingsland. Mm. And I got offered a flat there before I even had fully decided I was moving to Auckland. Wow. And then I came back here after my, my travels and doing some work up there and different doors opening for me, people me offering me places where I could do my work um, that I can go check out. And I was lying in bed and I was anxious. And I was like, this feeling in my body is because I'm in the wrong place. It's time to move. And I just went, right, let's do it. Mm. And it was like, oh, what about, you know, you could think a lot of things. And I think one of the things, I mean, I'm from a poor upbringing. Literally at one point we lived in a caravan. Dad was in and out of hospital. He's missing a major heart valve from birth. So major birth defect. He was an incredible athlete too. He was a martial artist and a sensei in jujitsu fujiru. So Japanese style. Mm. I didn't realize there was a Japanese style well, I guess they were. That's where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. So it was originally a street fighting art um, to against the samurai. Okay. 
And keeping in mind the samurai were said to be so well trained that they're they're killed that like on their on their the blow that killed them, they would still kill their opponent. Wow. So street fighting out against that is pretty vicious. It's yeah. it's yeah, pretty nasty. Um, and it's more stand-up, whereas the jiu-jitsu you see now is more rolling. Okay, yeah. So yeah. we used to say if you end up wrestling on the floor, which we did do, um, and um, you know, the Brazilian brothers of why their name has gone out of my head, I slapped by my sensei for that one. Um, um, you know, they've done amazing. They've made it so technical what they've done, and it's incredible. And it's an incredible evolution. And I'm I'm someone who's into evolution. Uh-huh. The evolution of everything is great. Yeah. I'm also into the preservation of, of the root of yeah. those things too. So I like the purists, yeah. but I like the innovators as well. Like yeah. to me, it's all good and it's good to learn both. Yeah. Um, but so the, sorry, your dad, so your dad. Yeah, the Gracie yeah. brothers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, so we were, you know, he was also um, reading me autobiography of a yogi when I was like six years old. Mm. So, <laughs> so it's an interesting exposure. Yeah. And mum was a yogi before I was born as well, which was back in the seventies when it wasn't even popular then. Right. Um, but we were living in a caravan, you know. Mm. Um, so How many of you were there? Uh, my mum, my dad, my oldest sister. She's eight and a half years older and me as a baby wow four of you in a caravan four of us in a caravan wow. at one point yeah and then we got a state house i think dad was in hospital and mum got an offer on a state house and we missed the first one because she couldn't get there and then um she, and then she got the next one i think wow yeah so you know i'm from that low socioeconomic background and one of the stories i used to hear here like like my parents said this word for word money doesn't grow on trees so I think one of the things when it comes to law of attraction that really gets in the way of, of people is fear around not having enough money. And when I look back over my life, there's been so much fear around money, no matter how much I had of it. Mm-hmm. I've seen people, we're in an interesting time. I've seen people lately with way more than I do panicking. And I'm like, dude, you own three and a half houses and one of them's fully paid. Like, you're okay. You might lose some stuff here. You know, it's a recession that may happen. Mm-hmm. But you are focusing on the very, very worst case scenario for some reason when actually it's amazing how much more you have and how much more panicked you are, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's not about what you have. It's about your vibration. Yeah. And I've heard it said too about the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And yeah. the idea that an aspect of that um, is... And I always say I've heard it before because I never want to, I, I can't often remember who, who said it and it's not necessarily um, true or false. I'm just saying what I've heard. But Observationally, the, it's true. Observationally, it's true. Yeah or, or, yeah, or just what comes up in conversations. But the idea that one of, one of the contributors to that is poor people have the poor mentality. And, and as a result, that is a limiting belief. So if they can break through that, they can be as rich as they want to be. But they do, unfortunately, have that poor mentality of we are poor. And they have to get rid of that limiting belief in order to progress. Absolutely. When you're rich, you are just surrounded by money. You're surrounded by opportunities. And so you never even consciously need to think, I want to be rich as well, or I want to get be more rich. You are just surrounded. Everything you see is, oh, yeah, we've got money. We've got opportunities, money's there, and and this is this is what life is. They're not thinking what if tra- tragedy. They're thinking, yeah. oh, what can I create? Yeah. And so they have in that space a more creative mindset. Yeah. And that's actually creativity is from abundance. Creativity, as Joe Dispenza says, 
when you're running from the tiger, fight or flight, yeah. it's not a time to create. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sit down and your whole body your body, when people are stressed out, like we see all the hormonal reproductive issues. I'm like, because you're all overstressed. Mm. The reason fertility is dropping is because you're all overstressed. There may be other reasons for that too, which is a bit more of an, a different story. But but the reality is, is your body down regulates reproduction because getting pregnant right now while you're running from a tiger, it's not ideal. <laughs> it's the last thing you want, right? So that's the first thing to go. And what is reproduction if not creativity? Mm. So is it a time to create when you're running from the tiger? And what are poor people doing? They're always running from the guy knocking on the door. I, like we lived our life like that. In a way we didn't. My dad was in a whole different realm because he was born dying anyway, you know. Right which is a very different mentality to, to be around. But there was that element of, of there's never enough. And so I lived my whole life, there's never enough. And now I, I wake up and I go, there's fucking everything is here. So how did you get to that then? Where, where was the switch? Was it, was it a gradual thing or? It was a gradual thing. Because I mean, it's a cool you know, question. parents and two kids living in a caravan. I mean, that is a great example of what you could consider a level of poverty. And so you have a thriving business, you have an amazing house, you're expanding and moving to Auckland. So how did that happen? How does that happen? Um, because I, it could be a great example for people, you know what I mean? I mean, the first one is my mum, despite all of that, like parents, yeah, sure, they're part of our conditioning. They don't mean bad, you know, yeah, they're living yeah. in their reality. But when I was 16 we were actually living quite well. So by then, um, my dad had died by then. My, um, I'd moved in with my mum, and we had moved into a new house with my stepdad. And he was a banker. He owned the gym that my mum had been working in. We got the house with the pool, lived in South Shore. Like, all of that was happening. And things were good. And one day we drive into the gym, and there's security outside and there's um the landlord standing there to the building we've been locked out oh wow yeah my stepdad had screwed up basically okay. so yeah. he'd been what happens when you're in business and you've been and you've been pretty lucky so far is that when you start circling the drain a drowning man clutch, clutches at straws and he'd kind of done a bit of that oh. he's a great man i love him dearly and he looks after my mother and this is many years ago right i'm 42 now um, and this was when I was 16. But it was literally the cataclysmic crashing of everything coming down on you, right? And even as a kid, you feel that. At 16, you understand what's happening. We're about to lose everything. Mm. And so, and we did. We lost, we lost the house with the pool. We lost the cars in the driveway. We lost the gym. Mum had nowhere to work. Wow. And Anthony was bankrupt, which means he was struck off. Right. So also, we lost the sale on the gym, which was actually going to be sold to Les Mills at the time. And Les Mills did buy it in a fire sale in the end. As a result of the landlord being, he was thinking, the landlord was thinking he was going to be able to sell the gym himself. Like he caught wind of the sale to Les Mills thinking, oh, I can get all of the money. I have a right to walk in here, which he did not. Mm. The landlord had the right to only his money. He did not own mm. Gold's Fitness. Right. So um, the next week, we move into a beautiful house in Rapaki in Apawa. It's rented, beautiful house. Um, the next week, it would have been the next month actually, and two secondhand cars go into the driveway, decent cars, and great food is on the table, and mum is working, Anthony is still coping, um, with 
because it's a big deal and it's yeah. particularly for men it's a big deal when you fail at being the provider yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's a shame mm. because i don't think that that's fair but it is part of the conditioning that men have gone through as yeah, well i think it's biological i think that there is an yeah i agree with you there too i think though that that biological primal thing is something that we should all be trans- transcending spiritually so that we can be a little kinder to ourselves mm. you know yeah, yeah. and transcend quicker we move on faster if we're not so attached to some of this stuff yeah. Um, and I said to mom, I said, you know, how did you do it? And she said, money's a game. You just have to learn how to play it. And at that point I started thinking a little differently, but still I'd been programmed from young. So then I had a guru. I met my guru on September 11th. Yep. September 11th. September September 11th. Yep. Um, and just after reading John Pilger's book, Hidden Agendas, and so that's very much about really looking at how um, the, the, you know, America and England have colluded to impoverished nations and all the different stuff and how reporters aren't allowed to report as a reporter should be allowed to and how controlled Murdoch, how controlling Murdoch was over media and, and really what we're being fed and how actually everyone has been, has been manipulated through media for many, many, many years. Um, and he, of course, was a journalist from Australia. Um, so I just read that, met my guru. And my guru was um, from an Osho, from Osho. He'd been one of Osho's drivers at one point. And Who was Osho? Osho, uh, Bhagwan or the Rajneesh. Oh, okay, yeah. The guru or the 99 Rolls Royces you may have also heard yes, of. I've and seen the documentaries. <laughs> you've seen, well, you've seen Wild Wild Country, I'm guessing. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen a perspective on it. Yeah, so, well, the problem with Wild Wild Country is that you really see what happened with Sheila. And there's a really cool point there where... Um, where the, the lawyer is talking about Sheila and talking about Gurdjieff and the catalyst and exposing people. And in my experience with gurus and gurus from the same Osho kind of environment, there is this element of allowing your ego to get so big that then when they drop you on your ass, you really feel it. It's like the ultimate exposure of your ego. Right. It's not nice, <laughs> but you don't forget it. Yeah. It's a big learning. And I've been through many learnings like that, right? But... Osho was very much about spirituality and money. They go together because the more abundant I am spiritually, the more abundant I am in all aspects. And when people accused him of only having rich people, he said, you've got many religions that look after your poor. Let me look after the rich so we can look after your poor. So, and he was talking about, you know, Zorba and the Buddha, they go together, you know, material wealth and spiritual expansion, they go together. And when you see the law of the tra- attraction, you listen to Abraham Hicks and Joe Dispenza, that's what they're all doing. You think Joe Dispenza is poor? Very spiritual man, beautiful man, doing amazing work, amazing, amazing work. And you, like, do you think he cares about money tomorrow? No, he's out there being creative. He knows what he's up to. It's all about the creativity. Do you think he's poor? Hell no, right? Can do whatever he wants. And what he wants to do still is help people because that's, that's ultimately what you do when you wake up. You realize that spiritual expansion means once you learn it, you have to go out and share it with everybody else. Right, yeah. You know? You always feel like you need to evangelize what you've learned because it's so exciting and you want others to, exactly. everyone to have that. Exactly. And if people take it truly spiritual, offer it. If they take it up, great. If you can help them on the journey, great. Mm-hmm. If they go somewhere else to journey, but they take something with them, amazing. Yeah. Like if they're not interested, cool, someone else will be. You know, I don't need to convert the whole world. 
I just want to work with the people that are ready. Yeah. So I had a, a guru like that and, and we had opulence around us. We, we worked, we made money, money fell on our heads. Like creativity in that environment was incredible because you felt high hanging out with the gurus and the Dalai, you know, the Dalai Lama and Sadhguru and all of these people we were around and Druction and, you know, um, of all different varieties and the Drepung Losling monks, we used to do a lot of advertising for them. So it was all about service, but it was also all about being in the moment and being creative and money just came. Mm. Money would come randomly right when it was needed. Right. You'd suddenly be like, oh, I have 700 pounds all of a sudden. That was interesting. And like, and it would just land on you. And then the next day I'd be like, we need 700 pounds to put down on the flights to, for, to go to India. We've got a good deal. Has anyone got 700 pounds? It's like, <laughs> I have it. That actually happened to me. Really? The very next day. That's exactly what happened. Wow. That 700 pounds was needed to reserve those flights so we'd get a good deal. Yeah. And I was like, I have it. I can put it down. Wow. And it was awesome. miraculous yeah. how it turned yeah. up. Then you move away from the ashram and, and you have to start going back through your own stuff because you don't have that same support. And what I learned was I had to sit in my meditation and the desire to be in a better situation and all of that sort of stuff kept coming up. And so there's been a slow unpick of my money mentality mm. and my abundance mentality. And one of the things you have to be really careful of when you're looking at wanting more money in your life is saying, I want more money. Because what you're saying is, I don't have money. So instead of focusing on the money, and this is, this is more the game I play these days, I don't. I focus on the abundance that I have. I have great friends. I have so an incredible like, job. Yeah. I have a, a body that can do anything. It's as fit now, if not in better form than it was at 25. It's better tuned. It's, I've done all the same stuff that I, I offer to others. I use all the people. I've, I've had an abundance of geniuses in my life I've gotten to learn from. Philip Beach was one. My guru was another. Mm. Greer Robertson, who's also here in Wellington, who's, who teaches ballet, another genius that opened my eyes up to something that Every other training modality doesn't really teach, which was the genius of ballet. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. the genius of how you hold the hip structure to get the mobility to a whole new world, you know. I've had a very lucky life. So you're grateful. The gratitude. Gratitude. It's because awesome. abundance and gratitude yeah. is like yeah. when you're grateful, how abundant is that? Yeah, yeah. So you, yeah. I mean, you know all this, like you practice all this already. Right. Well, I've learned a lot from conversations such as this one. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very lucky in that regard. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. yeah. And like talking to you now, this is a huge gift to me because I get to feel it as I, as I pour this out. It's like it all comes into my body and the vibration changes. And I get to do it with my clients in the morning. Someone says to me, someone said to me earlier this week, said to me, um, just just not feeling very motivated at the moment. And so we did a training session at the end of it online. I was like, oh, tell me about that. And he started to go into it and stuff like that. And he started to talk about how he was feeling. And I've known him for many years, that one actually, uh, for like 20 years. Oh. And he's, he's um, not been my client that long, but I, he's a friend that sort of come in and asked for help. And, and I said to him, you know, I've known you since you were a kid. And you set your sights on being the architectural draftsman that ran architects, you know, you wanted that, your, that fulfilled something in your desires and your ego. You did exactly that. You traveled the world. You did this, you did that. Everything that you've ever wanted. You wanted the, you wanted the beautiful woman. You've got to, you know, you've done all of those things. Don't you realize what a creator you are? Mm. 
you can do anything you set your mind to. I have no doubt. And just talking to him about that stuff, the whole in- he had a great day, by the way. He went off and had a great day. Nice. And I felt awesome. Yeah. And it's like, that's spirituality. Yeah. It has a selfishness to it. It is the practice of selfishness. But selfishness to so much abundance that you overflow and it overflows into everything that you touch and everyone that you meet. Selfishness to abundance to the yeah. point of overflowing. I've, nev- I've never heard it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. But it is that. Yeah. We are self-centered beings. You know, you know, I read Human Design, which is an incredible system. We'll have to probably talk about that one in another day. <laughs> I think we talked about it last time, actually. We did, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Human Design shows that we as the nine-centered beings that we are, are self-involved. Like, that's our design, and we're meant to be. That's what meditation is. It's the ultimate selfishness. The ultimate constructive selfishness. I change my vibrations so that I vibrate out, Mm. and I'm like a pebble in a pond. Mm. No matter what vibration I carry, I'm a pebble in a pond. So don't I owe it to myself and everyone else to sit down and get good, Mm. you know? And vibrate high. Because you're going to be the best you can be, but others are going to benefit as a result. Exactly. Exactly. And if it inspires someone, if it changes someone's day, if it, any of those things, if it, if it moves someone into a completely transformed life, I mean, one more person doing exactly the same thing. It's like another people in the pond doing the same thing. And now you've got, you know, this incredible marbling happening where it's networking out. This is the butterfly effect. Mm. This is chaos theory, you know? Mm. So how do you get rich? Don't focus on the money. Focus on the creativity. Focus on the abundance in your life. How do you get to do what you want to do? Never let money get in your way. I want to go do such and such. Cool. Your question is, I'm going to go do it. Like, I'm going to go do such and such. Now, how am I going to get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it might be just an invite. I'm going to get there. I'm just waiting for something. To, something's coming. Yeah, yeah. I and can so feel it. I can see it in my mind. I can feel it. Uh, just the logistics will come. Yeah. And then you sit down in your meditation. And you drop into relaxation. You drop into your breath. You drop into listening to the hum or whatever the vibration is or the sound or the birds or the wind. You drop there. And once you feel everything go karma, mind doesn't have to stop. That's a misnomer right but when i can observe the mind moving but i'm not getting involved with it now i'm in that hum Mm. and as i get better at that i'll start to find less noise Mm. as well out there my mind will bounce around less so as i train that mind more and more and then i get to that point where i'm like okay i'm I'm chill now it's like now what do i want to feel today you know what vibration do i want to hold oh well actually i'd really like a great partner Cool. You want to be loved. Mm. Love yourself. Right? Pull in every ounce of love you've ever wanted in your entire life. Imagine that pouring into your body. What does it feel like? Breathe into that. Mm. You know? See, see what it feels like to fill yourself up. Step out into the world with that. I guarantee you find someone. Yeah. You know? Wow. You know? And, yeah. then, and then what can you share with them? Now it's no longer, I need you to do this for me. It's like, I'm having a great time in my high vibration and I'm inviting you in to come play. Mm. You know, I'm going to be responsible for that vibration. And I want to share it with you. Really 
this this has to be the first of many conversations i need to get in touch with you when i'm next up in auckland um because we need to do that but this has been absolutely inspiring yeah thank you absolute pleasure thank you an absolute pleasure